Today on Indie Thinker, we discuss fighting back and mom scream events. Yeah, that's actually a thing. And then we'll look at the latest with the trucker convoy in Canada and what Justin True Dork is doing to reveal his totalitarian tendencies. All that and more on today's show. You're about to make the jump from the echo chamber into free and independent thought on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. Hey, thanks so much for watching today's show. Before I get to the liking, sharing, and subscribing, and the demand for your obedience in that, simply because scripture tells you to love your neighbor, and I think that's one of the clearest ways to love your neighbor is by liking, sharing, and subscribing. I'll just tell you, one of the reasons you need to subscribe is that this Sunday, I've got Jennifer Knapp coming on the show. Jennifer Knapp was very prominent in the early 2000s and uh, as a Christian musician and she came out as gay in 2010, so I wanted to bring her on the show. She's talked about this in, in many other settings, but I wanted to have this conversation in a long-form way where we could really talk about the, the state of her faith now in the midst of that decision, how she views scripture, and how many people like me are asking how you square the, the, the circle of, of that lifestyle choice in the midst of of scripture and so i think throughout we have an interesting back and forth it's very friendly it's very civil and uh, i think i do a relatively good job of trying to uh, emphasize the necessity of of scripture but also more importantly the necessity of an objective standard uh, so I'll let you guys decide that for yourself. You can check that out. Uh, again, it's this Sunday at 8 o'clock. Subscribe and make sure you share it with others. Um, and then I want to make mention of something real quick before we jump into kind of the stories that we're going to be covering today. Uh, I just wanted to say that I was appalled. I was taken aback by those of you who made fun of 50 Cent's appearance at the Super Bowl during the halftime show. Now, I talked about this a little bit on Tuesday. You can go back and watch that episode if you want to see a little bit more of what I talked about there. But uh, but I did want to make special minute, mention of our friend 50 Cent there, who, who some people have just been, and I'm offended by this, because I think offense is one of the great ways to show virtue in society today. Uh, but 50 Cent, uh, was it was said of him that when he came down upside down during the halftime show and maybe some fat rolls, if I think that's the technical term, uh, were being revealed and kind of gravity was not really being nice to 50 Cent in that moment. There were people who appallingly suggested that 50 Cent now is a buck 25. And, and I just wanna say that I, for one, don't think that body shaming is, 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 a, is a funny matter. I don't think that we should, should body shame. So we should definitely not suggest that 50 Cent has become buck twenty-five, two dollars and fifty cents, or whatever, whatever joke you want to make. I uh, I think we need to fight against that kind of body shaming, and actually, we're going to be talking about fighting today. So before we jump into that, I want to make sure you know that this show is sponsored by the Kevin Blair team over at Element Funding. Now, I told myself I was not going to show this to you guys because this is. Uh, if I had taken journalism classes, I'm sure they would have said that you're not supposed to show people these kind of nasty things on camera. But right there, I, I have a scar. Now, this is a good scar because I got this from sliding down a grass hill with my, my two boys. And, um, but it did, it did reveal something to me, that if you drag behind and if you're not paying attention, slowly but surely, damage can come and you'll be paying thousands of dollars on your mortgage 
that you didn't need to pay or hundreds of dollars. I mean, hundreds of dollars, that's not a small thing. You can do lots with hundreds of dollars. Of course, inflation is changing that because it's up to like 7%. And the Fed is already saying that interest rates are gonna raise as a result of that. So your $100 means less and less and less, but you still want that in your pocket. So what you need to do is you need to go over to our friends at kevinblairteam.com so that you can refinance or you can right now see how you, how much you can qualify for in purchasing a new home. So over at Element Funding, they give you class A customer service. They make sure you're qualified totally upfront so that you can have the freedom to know that you will be able to purchase a house and you'll know exactly what your monthly payment is and that you can afford it. They're not just gonna try to pump you through the system tell you that you'll get this really low interest rate and then surprise you when you actually get down the, to the qualification process and realize they didn't run your credit, they didn't do any of that stuff, um, and now your interest rate is nowhere near what they promised you it would be. There's no tricks, no gimmicks like that with Element Funding. So go over there right now, kevinblairteam.com, and check out what they can do for you. And even if they don't service your area directly, they can help you find an Element Funding that does. So go over there, check them out, and let them know that IndieThinker sent you. All right, so on today's show, we're gonna talk a, a lot about fighting. Now, I think there's an important reason that I wanted to talk about this subject because especially those in the Christian community, they, they misunderstand fighting. They think that we shouldn't be involved in cultural battles, we should only be involved in spiritual ones, but they forget that Jesus came to this earth for the kind of battles we're talking about here today, to impact the culture. This is what incarnational ministry is all about. So for those of you who are watching who are Christians, I think we do well to pay attention to some of these things because we have an obligation, we have a divine mandate from God to impact our world, especially if the things that are going on in our world will impact the way in which people perceive Christian truth. I think we're seeing that before our very eyes. But C.S. Lewis made mention of this and he was very clear about what's going on and the role of people to do something about it. And for those of you who don't know, C.S. Lewis is of course the author of Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, Chronicles of Narnia, um, and maybe you've seen that movie in the past or you're, maybe you're familiar with mere Christianity. And needless to say, a very prominent Christian author. But C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Abolition of Man and in it he states that the greatest and final conquest of humanity has actually been the abolition of mankind or humanity. In other words, for all of our hard work, the thing we're accomplishing more than anything else is the destruction of ourselves. And the modern day identity movement, especially placing identity above the importance of truth is a prime example of this. So in the midst of that, we're also seeing on the other side of this identity movement, those who would idly stand by, preferring rather to enjoy the last vestiges of their freedom before they're fully taken away, rather than protecting it for the next generation. So there's a prime example of this in the Bible. When told by the prophet Isaiah that there would be destruction in the future by Babylon and future generations would feel that, Hezekiah simply said this, oh good, so that means there's going to be peace in my days. The, these same decisions are made daily when we blow off the reality of kids being taught radical gender ideology in schools, devastating lifelong health issues that come as a result of the bodily mutilation that the trans community is advocating for, and the race card that is constantly being abused by dishonest people looking to grift. I'm definitely not talking about people like Al Sharpton. This is why one of the best things that has happened to us in the past two years amidst the grief and the heartache that has accompanied COVID is that it's acted like a pressure cooker and it's revealed things probably about all of us, but specifically about the intentions in our ruling class. Chief among those sinners is our buddy Justin Trudeau. 
Right now, he is doing some of the most brazen things, and we'll discuss them in our headlines, but so egregiously bad are they that it's almost breathtaking. I guess when the darkness increases, it covers the land, and there are fewer shadows for people to hide in, so it's re revealing a lot of things to us right now that I believe that good conscience people and Christians should do something about. And as far as I can tell, the Christian world is so used to playing defense and so used to losing that we no longer stand for truth. We're immediately worried about the scoffer who will say, well, whose truth are we going to defend? Like Jesus, we can remain silent, but we should never back down when someone tries to pose lies as the truth. It demands our attention. So we turn off the news very often, which is an obvious moral good, by the way, but afterwards we say, I'm so worn out, I'm so tired of the drama, I don't want to listen to that anymore. And we forget that there's a battle to be fought. Let's face it, quitting, sidelining, and criticizing others is really easy. Learning and doing way harder. So the real question is, is are you in the fight? Are you making a difference? One thing that will be changed is our kids if we're not in the fight. So at our present, all of our excuses are being taken away because of the encroaching darkness that is obvious for each and every one of us. So the real question that we're left with at the end of the day is what are we going to do about it? And we'll look at some of that today in our headlines. So scream events are a thing now for moms who are battling stress at home. And admittedly, I think everybody is, is battling stress. Um, and so these moms are taking to the streets and they're going to public parks and they're gathering together just to hold scream events where they just scream publicly to get out some of their frustration. Now I'd say among things to do, this is probably a pretty harmless thing, but uh, the real question is why are these moms screaming? So I'll show you a little bit of that in this clip. My house felt narrow. I felt like the walls were caving in on me and I just felt like there was no place to go. And you had a six month old on your hip. I had a six-month-old on my hip, I had a four-year-old, and um, a six-year-old who was in kindergarten. So nobody was in school and keeping them entertained throughout the day and while changing diapers it, and nursing um, was insane. I feel really guilty and I don't know the right thing to do a lot of the time. I just work and my daughter, I have no time for me. So on frosty mornings, these women are gathering together to scream publicly. And one can't help but wonder, while there is a legitimate source of frustration perhaps that can come from small children, even your own, uh, perhaps it could be that we need to reevaluate the way we look at motherhood and the way we look at children. When COVID hit, these working moms, they were forced into a position to care for their kids while juggling their jobs. So these moms take out their frustration with these scream events. So here's the real deal, or at least the question that I have. Of course, people need to let off steam. And like I said, this is probably as gentle a way as, as one can do it and probably somewhat therapeutic. But the real question I have is, why do these moms have to scream so much? Perhaps these moms are feeling very justified stress because of generations of women who have told mothers that motherhood is secondary to their career and that children are the unfortunate happenstance of sex. And then we told them that all of their woes could be eliminated from pleasure seeking because we've got a pill to take care of that. So now COVID has forced these women to do what past generations of women were hardy enough to do without an issue, to take care of their kids. Now these women 
are juggling too much and they're frustrated because they're also juggling nine to fives on top of that. And now they're mystified by the fact that they're stressed out. Perhaps they listened too long to a vocal minority of people who proudly told them what to do, all while claiming that no one should ever tell a woman what to do. But life has a way of slapping us in the face because some had to prove that they were smarter than these realities. We as a culture boldly sh stuck our chin out and dared reality to hit us. Now it has and grown women are screaming in parks and waking up all the patients at Arkham Asylum. Still, we're doubling down and we're dedicated to lying to ourselves so much that this vocal minority has even allowed us to, to entertain the idea that men can participate in womanhood. Second wave feminists dismissed the important work of the first wave by demanding that not only they see equality, but the abolition of the sexes. All while gender differences reaffirm traditional roles in marriage and deny that gender is a social construct. And then bio biology forces women into breastfeeding and shows that men are less naturally suited to be caretakers. So for the longest time, we've told ourselves, the Bible is antiquated, oppressive. Yet, we keep being pulled back into its teachings in a way that would cause even the most entrenched skeptic to get really honest. We pacified ourselves with verbiage about the relative nature of truth and cried out for freedom, not recognizing that the rails keep us on the track. Since we've rejected those truths, we've derailed our lives and we're so far from it that we found oppression of past generations is nothing like the prison we're creating for ourselves today. And so here are a group of women screaming like mad people in the park. Know why? Because we are being driven mad. We've cut off our nose to spite our face and then we've laughed about it. This is the behavior of the mentally ill. So here's the point. This is not to suggest that all women need to be stay-at-home moms. This is merely to point out the fact that when we suggest things like traditional marriage and traditional roles in marriage, and we suggest that women have a role to play that men can't play, and then we vilify those kind of things. And again, this is not to say that women can choose to play whatever role they want. It's just simply to suggest that when we see the evidence that proves to us that perhaps we might have had a point with some of those things that we were saying in the past about the roles of men and women, perhaps it's worth reinvestigating and reevaluating to see perhaps if all of the stress and the pressures that are coming upon us as a society are because we're kicking against those truths and trying to pretend as though they don't exist. And so now we're telling ourselves that it's bad to believe those things, where in past generations it's actually helped women really become good, robust mothers, which by the way is a superpower. I guess that's all I'm saying at the end of the day is that if we're going to villainize motherhood, don't be surprised when motherhood gets us screaming. All right, so let's move on to the next headline. On Monday, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau asked for emergency powers to be given to him to stop the trucker protest. Now, I just want to encourage you because I like to think that people from different walks of life and different ideological perspectives can actually entertain listening to things that they may disagree with. And so what I would encourage you to do is to go to a Google search or whatever, um, if you're a far-right extremist, to go to DuckDuckGo, and then to look up the acts of violence that have taken place as a result of these protests. And then I would like you to compare them to the acts of violence that took place around America and even around the world with the Black Lives Matter protests. Those fiery but mostly peaceful protests caused billions of dollars of damage. These truckers are merely blocking traffic. Now, 
I'm, uh, I'm gonna suggest, just to be safe, because I've actually done this myself and not seen really any legitimate claims of violence uh, or any legitimate laws being broken in any, any widespread fashion whatsoever. So I'm just gonna suggest that perhaps, in some limited way, there have been disruptions beyond uh, traffic disruptions, right? Uh, there have been uh, perhaps some people who have used this as an opportunity um, to, to do some bad things. However, this is so very few and far between and in such a limited fashion that you will be hard pressed to actually go and find specific instances where these truckers are breaking the law. Nothing like what happened in 2020 with Black Lives Matter and those protests. Yet it didn't stop Justin Trudeau from taking a knee in the midst of a true emergency with Black Lives Matter. But for some reason, for some reason, Justin Trudeau really wants to stop this protest. And here's his ridiculous, audacious assertion for why these protests must stop. Biden and the other illegal allies. blockades are hurting Canadians, whether they're in Ottawa, Windsor, Coots or Emerson. They're endangering jobs. They're threats to our economy and to public safety. The blockades are hurting small businesses and neighborhoods. At the border, they're impacting trade, supply chains, and manufacturing. The people these blockades are hurting are everyday families. Please, somebody buy this dude a mirror because it sounds like he's talking about himself. The real person who's hurting supply and demand, who's hurting the economy and hurting other people, is this guy. Now, all of this too happens amidst Canada starting to open back up. It seems as though the last thing on the planet that's going to happen is this vaccine mandate be overturned for these truckers because Trudeau is being challenged in his authority. And that's what this really seems to be about more than it actually seems to be about whether or not these truckers are really using freedom as a weapon for white supremacy. But of course, that doesn't stop the state-run CBC from suggesting such things. So here's an article from them that just flies in the face of reality. And this headline says this, why the word freedom is such a useful rallying cry for protesters. As demonstrations against COVID-19 restrictions continue across Canada, the word freedom is on the lips and placards of many protesters. Oh, the horror of it all. Often associated with protests and rallies in the United States, the term has taken hold among the protesters who are part of the freedom convoy. And I have to stop right there real quick and just say this. Isn't it interesting that they say the word freedom is often used in the United States, which by the way, does go back to something that we used to say that one of the greatest exports of the United States is freedom. Uh, but apparently it's, it's a bad thing to say freedom now um, because then you sound like Americans and God forbid you actually say freedom and sound like Americans. But this article goes on. For many, freedom is a malleable term, one that's open to interpretation. That flexibility in part has fueled its growth among certain groups, said Barbara Perry, director of the Center on Hate, Bias and Extremism at the Oshawa-based Ontario Tech University. It is a term that has resonated. Hmm, I wonder why that term freedom has resonated. I don't know. Maybe we need to ask William Wallace. You can define it and understand it and sort of manipulate it in a way that makes sense to you and is useful to you depending upon your perspective. Now, I, I, I rather think as smart as this woman may be that she may actually be 
confusing the word freedom with the word race because actually the left is very fond of manipulating the word race to use it to mean basically whatever they want to mean or even the word racism, right? Because the Anti-Defamation League is consistently changing the definition of racism to meet their leftist and anti-racist agenda. Well, who knew words were so malleable? And who knew that if you just beat race over the head over and over and over again and misuse it, that actually what you'll do is a is a injustice to real instances of racism. But the article goes on and continues to castigate those who care about freedom. It's also a term that has thrived among far-right groups, said Perry, one of a number of experts who say the presence of far-right groups in Canada is growing. As seen among some protesters currently opposing vaccine mandates and other public health measures, freedom signals a desire for freedom from government intervention or overreach, Perry noted. I think it resonates very much with what we've been seeing and maybe take some inspiration from what we've been seeing in the US over the last year and a half or so leading up to, here we go, the last election and the events of January 6th. So once again, January 6th becomes this random word aggregator thing that the left use to constantly castigate whatever they can so that people don't have to think for themselves. January 6th has become the clarion call for all things bad. All you have to do is find something you don't like and then say January 6th directly next to it and boom, you have a recipe for people not thinking for themselves. So one would have to ask what is really going on here, especially in the midst of Justin Trudeau, I might be mispronouncing that, I'm not French Canadian, him announcing that now he's going to freeze the money of anybody that's associated with these truckers or anybody that gives them money. Second, the government is issuing an order with immediate effect under the Emergencies Act, authorizing Canadian financial institutions to temporarily cease providing financial services where the institution suspects that an account is being used to further the illegal blockades and occupations. This order covers both personal and corporate accounts. Third, we are directing Canadian financial institutions to review their relationships with anyone involved in the illegal blockades and report to the RCMP or CSIS. So, listen, I know if you're on the left, you look for opportunities to justify evil, but I am hoping that we can see through this nonsense and we can realize that when a government not only goes after corporate accounts, which is egregious enough, goes after GoFundMe and anybody who on a private level wants to try to support what's going on, but then goes one step further and treats citizens as terrorists and says that they will go after your own personal money if it is found that you are uh, in this blockade of any kind. And of course we understand too, right, that this has nothing primarily to do as, uh, only with the blockade, that this is just something that will be used as a tool to threaten anybody who stands in the way of Justin Trudeau again at a time where Canada is removing its vaccine passport mandates and uh, in some places relieving uh, face covering mandates and opening back up in large fashion. All the while, Justin Trudeau is doubling down and treating citizens as though they were terrorists, funneling money, money into terrorist organizations and willing to take away 
the private money of those citizens. I'll echo one person who I already heard say this, that those truckers need to right now, every single one of them, take their money out of those banks and they need to put them probably in American banks or put them in, in other places where the government won't be able to touch them. And then we'll see how the government likes it when they can no longer use our money for their own purposes. So at, at a time where restrictions are being lifted, COVID is, we're coming to the reality that we're having to develop long-term solutions with how to move forward. Justin Trudeau is treating private citizens as though they were terrorists in, in protest that are not mostly peaceful, but are almost entirely all peaceful, if not altogether peaceful. I have yet to hear a single article talking about the violence coming out of these choker protests. And you can rest assured that if there was widespread violence and widespread hate coming from these things, that the mainstream media would jump on it. The fact that they're not is not because they're just so honest. It's because there are no instances of this. So the real question is this, is when you have Justin Trudeau kneeling for Black Lives Matter and standing behind this protest, but you don't have uh, him doing the same thing for these trucker protests, why is, why is that happening? Typically protests, and, and this happened in the Black Lives Matter protests specifically, typically protests try to point at people in power. But what happens when those people in power turn around from their positions of power and join those protests? Who are the people actually pointing at? See, the opposite of that happened in the trucker, is happening in the trucker protest, is they're pointing at a person of power and then that person of power is pointing back at them and trying to fight them. But that didn't happen in the Black Lives Matter protest on many occasions and specifically in Canada with Justin Trudeau. So you might say, well, in the Black Lives Matter thing, Trudeau was, was with the people standing as he pointed at the police, except for Justin Trudeau was somebody who could do something about that and then largely didn't. I mean, this is happening in America too. Nancy Pelosi just said, no, we're not the party of, of defunding the police. We're the party of public safety, of course, right? Because they know that the polls are going sideways for them. So, so, so what does it mean when those who are in power join the protest and you're not pointing at anybody in particular? Here's what that means. That we understand that the Black Lives Matter protest was really predominantly about securing power for political elites because they believed that they could attach a policy prescription to the things that were going on in the Black Lives Matter protest. Specifically, they could teach radical critical race theory in schools and further that agenda. But the point is, is that they knew that they could attach a policy prescription that would enshrine power for them. They knew that they could use race as a cudgel, in other words. But now the trucker protest, I just I encourage you to think about this. The trucker protest actually is gonna do the opposite. It's gonna take away power from people like Trudeau. It's gonna take power out of his hands and that's why he's really, really interested in shutting these people down. If he wasn't, he could just end the vaccine mandate. He could just join other provinces in Canada, loosen the restrictions and all of this would go away. But he doesn't want to because his power is being threatened and his control is being threatened. Natural immunity is more robust and stronger. So why is that not being considered in any of this? Why is Justin Trudeau holding on to this vaccine mandate when he could make all of this go away with just the swipe of his hand? It's because this is about power. This is about his little throne being threatened and he can't have that. So I encourage you to think about this and ask yourself before you castigate those in Canada who are standing up for freedom in a way that could be beneficial to all of us, 
What's this really all about? And is it something that we should be fighting for? All right, let's move on to our final headline. Cancel culture, of course, is all the rage, and Chevy Chase was just recently interviewed, and he said, quote, I don't give a crap when faced with accusations of harsh treatment on the set of Community and other places. So at a time where Joe Rogan is being canceled by the culture, and we'll see if we've seen the last of this kind of move to try to get rid of him from Spotify or to censor him, uh, there's a old face that's coming up to remind us about what fighting cancel culture actually looks like. So Chevy Chase was just recently interviewed and he was asked about accusations of past kind of coarse joking and um, maybe rough behavior on the set. And he said, quote, I don't give a crap. Now, the reason I want to share this with you guys is, is not because I don't think you should ever apologize. I, th I think you should apologize sometimes, obviously. I'm married, and so I do it very often. Um, apologizing is an order when it's necessary. But also, I don't think we should give forced apologies to people who aren't really after apologies, who are really just after to make a name for themselves. Um, and Chevy Chase shows, shows us here what it's like to be the old dude in the locker room, to let it all hang out and not to care what anybody else thinks. And now, I do think that we need to be considerate, we need to be mindful, we need to be self-aware enough to know when we've done something that deserves to be uh, criticized and be willing to, to take ownership of those things. But I also do believe that there's a lesson that we can learn here from Chevy Chase. So I wanna show you just a little bit of his interview when asked about that kind of past rough behavior that he has had with, with others. So here's what he has to say. Lived with his mother, who'd remarried an abusive man, a psychotherapist. That's when pain and fear presented themselves. It was violent toward my mother. Did he hit you? Yeah, he hit. I was afraid all the time uh, growing up. Uh, and I still have a lot of that fear in me. So in a sense, it did shape my path, yeah. I mean, it, it sort of made me want to take those people out. And bullies, I hated bullies. Which might come as a surprise to many who've felt his sting as they've crossed paths with Chase over the years. Every man should be punched in the face. It's a rite of passage. His clashes with the creator and cast of Community, his last big role. Is that a cookie? Which led to his departure from the show after several seasons in 2012 were just the latest headlines dealing with Chase's conflicts and behavior going all the way back to SNL. When you read that stuff, when people say, Chevy's been a jerk, are those unfounded cheap shots? I guess uh, you'd have to ask them. I, I don't give a crap. <laughs> what? No, Chevy Chase certainly does not. Uh, I'm who I am, and I like who I am. I don't care, and it's part of me that I don't care. I've thought about that a lot, and I don't know what to tell you, man. I, I just don't care. I don't know any of the circumstance surrounding Chevy Chase, but I also think this is the way you fight cancel culture. This is the way you take a stand and you say, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. I was just making jokes. They can take it seriously if they want to. They can let it hurt their feelings. I never meant to hurt anybody's feelings, but I don't give a crap. Everybody's gonna do what they wanna do, and everybody needs to leave everybody else alone. And wouldn't we be much, a much better place if this is how we really were? I love the fact that Chevy Chase is too old to care whether or not he's canceled anymore. I just love it. And the, and the reality is this, is that because he doesn't care, he's not gonna be. 
Now, Chevy Chase is obviously somebody who's been around for ages and generations, so it's a little bit harder to cancel this guy. So that's one thing. But the other thing is this, is that when you drop blood in the water and you unnecessarily apologize for things that you shouldn't be apologizing for. And just to take it back to Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan owed zero apologies to me or probably to anybody else for the things that he did. He owed apologies to people that he knows personally that he hurt and that it hurt that relationship between them. So Israel knows Joe Rogan personally, and he says, this is all nonsense. This is all about control. See, Israel gets it. Here's Israel Adesanya being the freaking man. Question for you around uh, Joe Rogan. There's been a lot of controversy uh, with him. Uh First off, let me take this one. Hold up. I'm black. I can take this one. Look. Okay. Uh, what, what were no, no. The there's, a, there's a lot of cuts in this game. There's a lot of snakes in this game. I've been in this fight game since 2008. And Joe Rogan is one of the nicest, coolest, humble motherfuckers I've had the pleasure of working with. Understand that. Hey, you know, it's just, fuck the noise, man. You know what they're trying to do. You can't control the man, and he's got the biggest platform in the world right now. So that's my nigga, Joe Rogan. Fuck the noise. This is all nonsense. This is all about control. See, Israel gets it. And quite frankly, I think Chevy Chase gets it too. This is all about control. This is all about trying to get you to apologize so that people can enforce their, their, their will upon you and give them that self-gratification of knowing that they were able to prove that person wrong and set them straight. And all of it seems so ridiculously out of the far-right evangelical Christian movement that we're supposedly supposed to be all up in arms against, that, that it's just totally ironic that Christians can sit back and say, you guys are being super religious about this. And, uh, and, and, and the left can continue to double down with this religious crusade of cancel culture that they're on. So here's the way to fight back against it. Take a page from the playbook of Chevy Chase and say, no, sir, not today. All right, let's move into our final segment, Christianity Not Today. I just love John Cooper. Some of you don't know who he is, but he is the lead singer of Skillet. Uh, this is a band that continues to have relevance even in, in their old age, just because they've had such a culturally prominent role, I suppose. But nonetheless, um, perhaps the most rev relevant thing that John Cooper, lead singer of Skillet, is doing right now is to declare war on the deconstruction movement. Now, as I mentioned earlier in the show today, I had Jennifer Knapp, who is probably one of the OGs of the deconstruction movement in the Christian music world. Um, I had her uh, as a guest, and she'll be on this Sunday. And, uh, and in the conversation, I, I told her this. This is my understanding of the deconstruction movement, that people should be able to deconstruct their faith in, in the sense that they should be able to ask very difficult and hard questions, that they should kind of pull their faith apart in a way that allows them to analyze it, but that there is nothing in, an, in deconstruction or being destructive in and of itself that is virtuous. In fact, the most virtuous thing that you can do is not just stop with deconstruction, but take the next step to construction. So if you're going to deconstruct, what you need to do after that is you need, and, and by the way, I think there are people who are on this bold journey of construction or deconstruction, and they are being brave. Uh, they're, they're asking questions that they think it's uh, forbidden to ask. And, and I think those questions need to be asked. I think there's great benefit in asking those questions. Otherwise, you uh, don't know why you believe what you believe. And so there's great benefit in asking questions like, if God's all loving, how can he send people to hell? If, uh, 
if, if people never hear about Jesus, how can God hold them liable for hearing the gospel and say, um, the, the only way to be saved is through the gospel, but they don't even know what the gospel is. So all of these questions are really, really good. But here's the, the point is that it's, it's not brave and it's not virtuous to settle for easy deconstructive answers. So there's nothing courageous about destroying stuff or settling for easy answers, but the real noble fight and the fight that we should be after is coming up with answers based upon truth. And that's what John Cooper has been about. So according to Christian headlines, he says this, it's time for Christians to declare war on the deconstruction movement and teach the younger generation the basic principles of the faith, saying that the church has done a poor job of discipleship. I think I would really agree with that. Quite frankly, this is why I do the show. Uh, my show is for everybody, so don't get it twisted. If you're not a Christian, I, I hope you watch and I hope you can glean some information from what I'm talking about. Uh, I hope you can even hear a different perspective if you disagree with it and then just kind of wrestle with it a little bit before you jump into the comment section and reveal to everybody that you're not as bright as you think you are. But for all of us, I, I hope we're willing to, to take in information and we're willing to grow from it. But, but that is the point, is that this show really at the heart of it, at the bedrock of it, is about discipleship for believers so that we can think about these issues and then throw a Christian perspective on them so that we can understand how to biblically faithfully think about things that are going on in the culture. And, uh, and the church is, is not doing a great job at that, and that's why we have such a minimalized voice in the culture. But John Cooper is at the forefront of this and just saying, hey, we, need, we have a place here to inform people and, and to disciple them through that information. So it goes on to say this, there is no such thing as divorcing Christ from the Bible. That is not a thing. Cooper said addressing young people in the audience, I don't hate deconstructed Christians. I pray for their repentance, but listen, they have divorced, divorced themselves from God and they want to take as many of you people as they can. And it is time for us and your generation to declare war on an idolatrous deconstruction Christian movement. So forgive me, I can't help but really appreciate people like John Cooper who are standing up against this kind of stuff because really the deconstruction movement without the construction movement, as I already illustrated, is a spiritually and intellectually bankrupt movement. Just for you to finally come to the conclusion 10 years down the road when you've experienced some prominence within the realm of Christian, Christian subculture, for you to finally say, well, I finally started the asking the hard question of, of why hell exists and if hell exists, that doesn't make you bold. That makes you a little bit late to the game because that's just Christianity 101. We should have been asking these things from the very beginning. So here's the point. We need courageous Christians who are willing to step up and stand up, which is why I wanted to end this way because there's really something interesting going on right now um, in the culture, if you will, where somehow we're reclaiming some of these narratives in, in, even in Hollywood. So Mark Wahlberg, who is a devout Catholic, just recently uh, released a trailer for his new movie, Father Stew. And I wanted to show just a little bit of that for you here right now. What can I get for you, miss? I got beef. I can see that. Hey! Hey! Let's not waste either of our time. I'm a Catholic. Well, ain't that what confession's for? You can't date someone who isn't baptized. I thought you was gonna say Hispanic. Where's the water? I'll do it now. I know I'm not what you used to, but not what you deserve either. Life's gonna give you a gut full of reasons to be angry. You only need one to be grateful. Oh, I think God saw something in you worth saving. 
but it's up to you to decide what you've got to offer. It's the place you told me you believed in me. I thought it makes sense being back here to do this. Your son is about to make a huge mistake. Well, I'm gonna be a priest. For Halloween. Hmm. I'll pray for you, Bill. Don't you dare. You're violating my rights. There's a man going around taking names. We've all been wrong, and we've all done some wrong. But he came to forgive us. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There's no easy way to deliver this news. You have a progressive muscle disorder. The muscles weaken until they cease to function. Is there anything it doesn't mess with? Yeah, erectile function. I'm trying to be a priest, pal. The wise men will bow down before the throne. I want no, I want no doubt. Why? And at his feet, they'll cast their golden crown. Man don't lose when he gets knocked down, but when he won't get up. So it's super surprising to me that a movie comes out like this in the midst of everything that's going on in the culture, that instead of showing Christianity as something that you're brave for getting away from and destroying, it shows Christianity as a real true hope for you in the midst of darkness. So as you can probably tell from the trailer, this is a great story about kind of a rough dude who's a fighter and a drinker and a cusser. And he meets this woman. Woman takes him to Catholic church and he says, I'm gonna become a Catholic because I really like this woman. Which by the way, I think there's statistics out there, 50% of all Catholics end up becoming Catholic for a lady friend. Uh, anyway, so in the process, God really touches his heart and he decides he wants to be a priest. And um, so he starts on that path. And then while he's on that path, he realizes that he has a muscular disease that's, uh, that's taking away his ability to walk. Now, um, enough of that synopsis, but the point is just this, is that his Christian faith in the midst of what he's dealing with is the thing that pulls him through amidst a culture that wants to push back against the decision to stand up for for the faith. And so I just think that it's surprising that a movie like this gets made, not to mention surprising that the holla, uh, Passion of the Christ, OG gangsta, Mel Gibson, is also a co-star in the film. It, you know, because Mel Gibson just recently, there was an article written about him, of how we can possibly let Mel Gibson come back into Hollywood. Um, nonsense, right? So M Mel Gibson is, is a fantastic actor and a outspoken Catholic believer, and uh, Mark Wahlberg the same. And so I'm pumped about this movie, guys, because it's affirming what we've known about Christianity for so long that is becoming less and less, um, less and less told. The story is less and less told in the culture that Christianity can help you in the midst of darkness. And so that's the one takeaway that I would hope that we get from this show and perhaps every show that I do here at Indie Thinker is that there is an answer for the darkness, yes, but as darkness encroaches, as it gets darker and darker, it is all that much more of an excuse to shine the light and to fight back against those things that we perceive as darkness. Now, in the midst of the fight, yes, you may understand things that you didn't know, and you may change your opinion about things, but it doesn't change the fact that you, especially you Christians out there, you believers out there, you have an obligation to stand up for truth and to be light in the midst of darkness. Sure, you can do that without words, but it doesn't mean that you should remain silent because silence is a lie if you've got something to say. And God forbid that there ever be an eerie silence from the church at a moment where we can make such an important difference. I hope you're asking yourself at least this question at the end of the day. What issue, what one thing 
will I be about that I can change so that future generations will be impacted because I decided to step to the plate? What one thing will my kids not have to fight because I was willing to fight for them? I think it's a question we should all ask ourselves and then ask ourselves, are we even in the fight? Well, thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. We'll catch you next time. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.